Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading, and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for December has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are marvellous. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And we have a number of things to talk about today. Um, it's been, uh, well, it feels like five minutes since we did this last. I know. It's, I think it's always the way in the run-up to Christmas. It, time just flies. There's not enough hours in the day. How are you doing with the older Christmas cards? Are they finished? <laughs> they are finished, but nobody who I sent them to has, has said that they've received them. So I don't know whether they've got them and they've opened them and they've just been horrified or they you know they were homemade glitter creations or um or whether they just haven't arrived but I you know I can't ring around everyone in, that I've sent them to around the world to say uh did you get my Christmas card what do you think of it so it's a bit of a bit of a strange situation that would look a little bit pushy I think <laughs> I know. I'm looking forward to getting my my return my Christmas card back if, do you remember when... Oh, no, I've, I'm about to bring up the birthday card thing again. But um, we talked a few weeks ago about how few birthday cards you get when you're adults. Christmas cards, even worse. I mean, that is... That makes me sad in my heart, the fact that people don't send as many Christmas cards anymore. I don't really care about Christmas cards, though. The Christmas, a Christmas card feels like a communal activity. It's a tete-a-tete. It's a, it's a give-and-take situation. It's something you feel obliged to do. A birthday card should be something you do because you love someone and you care about them and you want them to do well in life and and they're important to you. And if someone only receives nine birthday cards, that means trouble. That's trouble for that person. I only send Christmas cards to people that I actually care about. But I don't don't think that... I don't send them to, you know, acquaintances. But we do. We've done that for years. We send them to any old random person at work. I mean, I mean, I haven't. I haven't done obviously. I mean, oh yeah, but those uh, at work ones. I'm talking about my personal ones. I'm. I only send them to people that I care about in the same way I do with birthday cards. Well, I'm glad you're on top of it. Anyway, hopefully people will get back <laughs> get back to you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, but it's uh, yes. We are going to take a break next week. Should we say that now that we're going to do that because of old Christmas Chris Chris crimbles? Crimbleton is happening um, across the uh, mainly the Western world, I suppose. Um, it's it's uh, largely ignored in large parts of the uh, world, but you know, no matter. We're not going to be here, um, and and so um, I, I. Do you know? You you say we're not going to be here. There's been a, a small part of me that thinks that I might have time and the inclination to put to put together a kind of short best of package. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to be quite hard to find material, but, you know, kind of a, a, a retrospective. And a part, part of the reason I tell you this, or I'm thinking of doing this, is uh, is because I, I've, I've become aware that at least two people, maybe more, um, who who listen to the show and enjoy the show, um, but are quite, you know, but really got into it quite recently, are going back through old stuff. And sometimes I get people um, email or, or over Twitter ask me about certain topics and I'm able to say, oh, actually, we, we talked about that on episode whatever, and then I can send a link. So part of me did consider, has considered creating a, probably a quite short sort of um, a best of compilation, but I don't know if I'm going to physically have the time to do that. That sounds like a great way to end 2014. It feels like a mistake to have actually said that live on a podcast. <laughs> I know everyone's going to be waiting now. Yeah. No, that sounds good. Great. So uh, so when we uh, see each other for Christmas next week, I'm not actually going to see you. You're just going to be locked away. Yes. Do you remember um, the Big Brother-in-law? I do. Are you going to explain to everyone what Big Brother-in-law is or was? It was a one-time thing. It was very much a one-time thing. I ruined my own holiday once, uh, family holiday. Uh, any new listeners, me and Donna are uh, brother and sister-in-law. I'm the, I'm the brother-in-law. She's the sister-in-law. And um, and we had a family holiday once, and I don't know what I was doing really. I think it was because I just got my it was my first ever Mac. I'd got my first ever Mac. It was a big, you know, beautiful iMac, and for some inexplicable reason, I packed it up into the box it came in and took it on holiday with me to, I believe, Cornwall, which is quite a long way away from where I live. And I decided that to. I mean, I'd, I'd been part of the family for several years by now, but even so, I still decided to ingratiate myself even further. 
uh, get my feet even further under the table by providing the entertainment for the holiday. And um, and some of you, especially in the UK, will know the TV programme uh, Big Brother. I think it's in most countries. And um, I thought that we could recreate that by creating a series of games which I would film. And then um, uh, after every game or event, um, each family member would be filmed um, voting for someone who they thought was best at that game or worst at that game. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, the point of the matter is, all well and good. We had a wonderful time. Um, Unfortunately, when it came to editing all that footage... Uh, it, it kind of came out, and I did. I cut a lot out. It was a, a an hour and a half long feature film, <laughs> and you cut I down to forty five minutes, didn't you? I didn't know it was an hour and a half long feature film. That's, oh, how, it, that's what, it ended. That oh no, that's that's what made the cut, and um, and uh, I spent a day and a half of my holiday working on it, which is a stupid thing to do. Well, I don't feel as sorry for you as I feel for my cousin, Holly, who popped around to my parents' house um, shortly after that to to say hi to my parents. And my mum and dad suggested it'd be a great idea if they sat down and and watched Big Brother-in-Law, as we just said, an hour and a half. How excruciating is that, that she had to sit through an hour and a half of someone else's family holiday video? I remember she laughed at the first three or four minutes. I remember at minute seven of watching, <laughs> watching her watching Big Brother-in-law, thinking, "Oh dear, oh." You honey. had. To, it, I mean, it was the very definition of you had to be there. Yeah. Anyway, don't know why. Um, that's that's why, some why, fam- how is family it related matters. to um, to Christmas because you're not going to get yourself into that kind of trouble again with committing to doing something so big when we should all be sitting around with uh, Christmas hats on. Yes, like like try and put together a best of right for your life podcast compilation so if if i'm going to do it i will do it this week but it might it might be tough but i'll do my best anyway lovely anyway in the meantime we have some follow-up from last week's show Mm. um now i let's we've got two or three pieces of follow-up let's let's uh, start with zoelagate so if you didn't listen to last week's show then um just to recap very briefly um, uh, Zoe Sug, not the daughter of Suggs from Madness um, she is a very famous YouTuber, over 6 million nearly 7 million subscribers to her YouTube channel and she, in inverted commas published, no that's not true, she did publish a book by a penguin and it turns out that it was ghostwritten and some people are very upset about it um, uh, for various reasons that we talked about last week I, I was talking about this last week and um, I listened back to uh, last week's show on the, my drive home earlier on from work. Did you listen to the show from last week for just to make you know for, for trying to improve ourselves, get better? Yeah, tremendous. No, and so, I didn't. I didn't. Um, <laughs> no, I, I knew the answer before you, uh, you do that to me. Hang me out to dry on air. It's terrible. Um, Zoe uh, Sug, she she has received a lot of criticism for uh, having a book that is ghostwritten. Now, part of the problem was, and I thought I got this clear, uh, made this clear last week, it was that she kind of, or her and 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 Penguin didn't really make that clear. So there was the there was some suggestion of kind of wrongdoing because it hadn't been made clear that she had had her book ghostwritten, and it was more like you know look at my novel, and the reality was maybe um, it wasn't really fair to call it her novel. Anyway, a little bit of uh, feedback on Twitter from uh, you know borderline argument for, with uh, Louis LaRock, who is at Louis LaRock with uh, one C, and um, and uh, I don't know if Louis listens to the show. If he does or she does, then uh, hi Louis, thank you for the conversation. And I I did completely understand where you're coming from, and um, I'm not sure I entirely got my point across as I'd intended to last week. I think basically I'd link to. Um, a, a an article about it and said I thought this was good and again it was a bit like it was not defending Zoe but I'd kind of suggested that it wasn't really her fault and you know what else would she do she's a famous person who was, was a normal person gets offered this book deal for a novel and thinks well, you know what what would she do of course you accept the, the book deal and get someone to ghostwrite it for you so I was kind of defending her I think to a degree um, turns out Louis Laroc is a, a, a ghostwriter and part of the problem for, for Louis, or the big part of the problem, is the fact that it was um, a novel um, and, and, and not a biography. And, um, 
and that there is a difference. And I'm not sure that I quite sort of covered that last week, and I think I probably should have done. And, and I think, having listened back to the show, you did kind of try and lead the conversation down that way, and I was I was uh, resistant. <laughs> but I think perhaps there is a difference, and maybe it is the fact that it was a novel, and there is this idea that you know being able to write a novel is not something you can take shortcuts at and, and cheat at. And if you're a if you're a ghostwriter, then um, then you know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, I think Louis. I think Louis. Uh, Louis was sort of suggesting um, that the idea of create. Well, here is a quote that he, he's quoted an article that he showed me, and he's, which says that Zoella, the Zoella affair, legitimizes the idea that creativity is not only transferable but not even that important. So the idea that it, it, that putting her name to a work of fiction, not a biography, to a work of fiction legitimises the idea that, you know, creativity is transferable. It's not even important. Who cares if she wrote it or not? Who cares if, who you know, what where the creativity is coming from? So that's an angle, and, um, and I thought it was worth mentioning that and sort of, um, I don't know, admitting that perhaps I could have covered it in a, in a, in a slightly more rounded way. Serana de Bergerac. Uh, any more any more context for that? <laughs> Did you ever see the film Serrano de Bergerac with um, uh, I, the fabulous Gérard Depardieu? I didn't, but I did. I did see a number of episodes of uh, Bergerac with, <laughs> with I believe John Nettles was that his name? Um, yes, I yes it was yes. Um, Yes, yeah, Serrano de Bergerac. I'm sure it's like a really old story. I don't know who wrote it. Sorry, that's terrible. But I just remember that it was. Um, somebody who got someone else to write a love poem for them um, and made that person fall in love with them. It's been recreated so many times in films, but um, but but it's the same kind of idea about transfer. Like if you create something, but somebody else takes it as their own. But that's part of a. Co- in this case, yes, that's true. But in this case, that's very much part of a. Uh, that was the contract. It wasn't. Like, it wasn't plagiarism. It wasn't like she was saying, "Oh, that person has written a book. Let's nick it." And, no, and but this wasn't plagiarism it. either. It's some, somebody said, "Look, I mean, you you really love this person, but you're not able to express that in poetry. I will write a poem for you, and you can use it." And it didn't turn out well. These things don't turn out well. It's better just to be honest and stand there and say, "I roses are red, violets are blue. I love you." If that's all you can manage. Yeah, not not even putting a sort of a, a third line in in that. <laughs> well, if you're really bad at poetry and that's all you can manage, then yes. Um, oh well, yes. I mean, I yeah. Has it died down a bit now, Zoella? Okay, I imagine it has. Probably we we've moved on to something else now. Yeah, totally. Well, should we move on to something else as well? Good link. Yes. Now, I believe that you've done a speech on double spaces. Yes, I was asked to perform a speech at work earlier today um, about the double spacing issue, which I talked about, uh, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. The idea that, um, uh, not the idea, the very reality that people are still putting double spaces in between sentences. And I'd said that I'd seen it at work. Your mum, she's a uh, she's a culprit. And, uh, and you leave her alone, you. You're always picking on her. <laughs> she can hold her own. Don't worry about that. Love you, mum. And and, um, and 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 someone at work was doing it, and and it was a it's a, this, this colleague of mine uh, in the team meeting today asked if I would just mention it to everyone, just to make just, you know just let people know about this, you know, because she was still slightly in shock. <laughs> not mentioning uh, names, of course. No, not at all. No. Uh, to, to uh, you know, to sort of say to everyone, I don't know, I don't know if you know this, guys, but um, you do have to avoid using two spaces in between your sentences. This is a really important matter. But you know, then I am the editor of the uh, uh, you know of the uh, the whole show, the curriculum. So I suppose it is uh, it is important, and these things are important. But hilarious! I I cannot. I feel like I've I've grown up in another universe. Where I've never I've never I've never noticed. I've never seen people do it. It's never been an option. And now you're having to, like, make workplace speeches where you just say, look, everyone, let's pull ourselves together and stop the double spacing. I just can't well, believe it. I mean, it wasn't quite a keynote, but there were, there were two, or three, uh, two or three people that went, ooh, <laughs> I, I do that. Really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's, this is, this is a, there's a scourge. I think we should make a hashtag for it, or a campaign to stop it, see how many people actually are doing it without realising. 
We probably shouldn't do that, but that's a good way of talking about the WFYL Right for Your Life hashtag. That's not uh, a good way about talking about your hashtag. Good gracious. Don't say that my <laughs> hashtag is not a good idea. <laughs> Honestly. I think you have to be nicer to me this week, Ian. What? I've decided. Okay. Well, I didn't realise I was being not nice to you, but I, I, will, I will do my best. Let's do your hashtag, but let's also... <laughs> that's better. Uh, there you go. That's a much nicer way to say it. But let's also mention that the Right for Your Life, WFY, hashtag WFYL, more people are using it. I'd say double the amount of people this week used it than last week, and I call those that good returns. So if you have any writing-related questions or writing-related uh, discussions that you want to have with other writers, meet other writers, uh, anything like that, then use the hashtag on Twitter, WFYL, and if we can all start doing that more, then we can intermingle and, and develop a community of sorts, and that would be absolutely tremendous. It would be. And I love the fact that, you know, people are talking on it. It's not like, you know, people are writing to us on the hashtag. That's what I really love about it. It's, it's really nice and quite voyeuristic just to be able to, to look in on people's conversations about writing. Well, we have, we have a listener's question this week, which neither of us have a good answer to, partly because it's not our specialisms. Um, so I think this is a really good example of how the hashtag could potentially be used. So this is a listener's question. We'll talk about it on, on the show shortly. Um, and and we know that we don't have a brilliant answer. So um, if, if people do have an answer to the listener's question we're going to talk about in a minute, then um, then that would be a perfect place to answer and to get in touch with the person. Shall we do it? Shall we do it now? I was just thinking, let's just, let's just go for it. Listener's question. So we don't have an answer to this question as... <laughs> as I foreshadowed. Um, We're looking but it's a good for a question. listener's answer for a listener's question. What's, what theme tune would we have for listeners' answers? Oh, my goodness, you put me on the spot there. I'd probably go a little bit higher, like something... No, I'm not even going to try. Oh, dear. No, just ask the question. Go on. So, Nicola uh, Balkind, or Balkind, I'm not quite sure how oh, to pronounce it. Great. <laughs> Well, I've given both options. I don't think it's any. I don't think it's. A, I don't think there's a third option. No, but we're going to get into all sorts of trouble again. Now we're going to have to feedback next week about how we should have pronounced Nicola's name. I'm quite sure. Nicola Balkind or Balkind um, is at Robot Nick, uh, and that's Nick with one C. Robot N I C. Robot Nick on Twitter, and she asks if. Well, uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to sort of rephrase this. It's, uh, it's not to say that it's. Uh, it's badly written. It's more that I'm, I'm bad at reading them. Um, the, the question is, do you go... Yeah, that's how you do it. Do you go... <laughs> <laughs> Some mind rewording going on live on the show. Do you guys know of any good residencies slash awards slash opportunities for non-fiction writers? That'd be awesome. Oh, I see. I see. That's... I see. It's not a question. It says, if you guys know of any residencies, awards or opportunities for non-fiction writers, that'd be awesome. Oh, as, um, yes. We thought that the residencies would... That had to be awesome that we recommend. Yeah, well, it's just not a question. It's just perfectly. It's a perfectly written sentence. I'm sorry for any any suggested implied criticism. Um, uh, it's just that I didn't notice uh, or I didn't pre-read. Anyway, do you know of any resonances, awards, or opportunities for non-fiction writers? Yes, if you know of anybody, uh, no, of any, then you can put them on the WFYL hashtag on Twitter. Um, I'm just trying to think. When I was in Ireland, there, the, yeah. Non-fiction, yeah, that's really, really good question. Because there, there were lots of kind of residencies going on and, and awards, obviously, but um, but specifically for non-fiction. Yeah, it's not something. It's not something that either of us um, cover and and do in great detail. Not in what well, we do. I guess we do non-fiction every day in our day jobs, but not in a not in the way that I think uh, Nicola's asking us about. I mean, I'll, we refer to the. Uh, I'll refer to the Arvon Foundation again, which is in the based in the UK, and it's not. Um, uh, I don't really. It's not really a residency or an award, but it's. Uh, it's. I know it's a good opportunity to go and. Uh, spend a week um, learning the art of non-fiction and various types of non-fiction based writing um, but I don't think that's what Nicola's asking for when she says residences no. I don't I think she means the residences for you no not as like a, retreats we're talking about ones where you apply and you're invited to come and do a residency somewhere um, uh, oh, the web the website there's a website called Ideas Tap which has got a lots of different opportunities mainly for people younger than I sort of in their 20s I think there is a, a an age 
limits. And again, I'm not sure, I think that's primarily UK based. Ideas tab. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which is where, Donna? Um, it's at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 140. But I, I don't have a, I don't have a better answer to, for that, so I thought I will put it out to you, listeners. Uh, if you know of any good residencies, awards, opportunities, then get in touch with Nicola at RobotNick and uh, and and uh, use the hashtag WFYL. We do have a listeners' question that we can answer there. We do. I just wanted to mention very quickly, seeing as we were talking about Arvon, I thought it might be a good idea that we just quickly mention the fact that there's there's some jobs at Arvon and people listening to the podcast might be interested in writing related jobs when I saw this job I thought oh that sounds amazing um the Arvon Foundation they do all sorts of writing courses and have writing centres across the UK in very interesting and inspiring locations they are looking for um two people actually a centre director and an assistant centre director for Totley Barton I mean that sounds so English doesn't it Totley Barton it's a centre in a little a little village and they describe it as our much loved Devon house set in meadows on the banks of the River Torridge well the River Torridge that sounds like a a wonderful place with picnics and trees and bright sunshine and maybe some pork pies I mean could you not just imagine just like getting up every day and going Oh, let's let's arrange some writing courses and inspire people today from Totley Barton. I can, but I I can also tell you that that's not quite how it works, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I applied not for this job, but for the exact same job at a different Arvon House, and uh, and gosh, damn it, I nearly got the job as well. Or so they told me, unless they told that to everyone. But they said I was the second. I came second. I was runner runner up in the job stakes. Mm. And um, and I've since met someone who uh, whose job it w- was um, I, whose job not I would have been working with her. She'd have been the same position. She'd also been one of the directors, and she said it wasn't quite as glamorous as it as it quite sounds. But it you know basically welcoming writers and cooking meals for them and making sure that they're happy and uh, are in a fantastic creative environment is uh, is very good. Do you know I did a very stupid thing before that. You know last week we were talking about job interviews. Mm. Or CVs. Yeah. Um, before I went for that job interview, I was I had a position. I was already in work, um, and um, I dis- I I decided I don't know what it was. I mean, I was quite happy in my job at the time, but I decided that I would tell my immediate boss that I was going for a job interview. <laughs> That's pretty bonkers, isn't it? And uh, what were their what was their response? Well, we were You're kind fired. of friend- no, kind of because there was people above her, and she was, you know, she sort of was really, you know, she, pleased for me. She knew that it was like the creative writing thing, and that'd be great, uh, you know. So, you know, kind of in a kind of going, well, okay, well, good luck, kind of way. But I wish you hadn't have told me that because that puts me in a very difficult position. And um, and I did, I hadn't thought about that. It was just a very stupid thing to do. I thought I was being honest. I thought I was, which I was, I suppose, but I thought it was best to just be upfront about it. Mm. Yeah, nah. I'd say nah. Mm. Because then you went back to work the next week, didn't you? Like, yeah, morning. Didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't want me. I'm really glad would, you still want me, though. Would anyone like a cup of tea? <laughs> I, I brought cake in. Well, um, I should say that I, I did a, a year and a half, nearly, um, helping to run a writing centre in the centre of Dublin. I did. And it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I found it. I I didn't have to cook for anybody. I was quite surprised that you said that with with this. It doesn't say that in the job description. Um, But just, you know, looking around for the best writers that you can get to come in and and also like coming up with courses that are going to that, that people actually want I, I it was fantastic we did loads of writing events there as well it was a really great environment where people just dropped in to have cups of tea and to to have writing groups and things like that so yeah I, I thought that this this looks like doing that just out in the countryside but I guess people will be staying there Presumably. Yeah, you have to you have to live within a couple of miles. So we really are <laughs> we narrowing down the. Uh, basically, if you listen to this podcast and you live in uh, within three square miles of this house, this is a fantastic opportunity. No, but I, I see. For me, I imagine that there are loads of people who are stuck in cities, desperate to get out to the countryside, and that this would be a good thing for them. 
I, I looked at this job and I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then I forgot that I was pregnant. <laughs> so I'm not going to be toddling along to any interviews um, in the next little while. And not that I would anyway, because I'm happy with what I'm doing. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I reckon people would travel. And don't don't you think writers would like the chance to, to live in the countryside? It's an amazing opportunity. I don't want to sound like I'm... I mean, I applied for it, so I must think it's uh, pretty decent or, or the, the exact same one at a different house. And I, you're right, I was willing to move. Me and uh, me and uh, my then-girlfriend, we said, uh, now wife, not some different, um, were, we were going to move. We were, I went to my interview and they said, you do know that uh, you don't live around here. And I said, that's fine. We're, we're, I want the job so much, we're prepared to move. But uh, that did not persuade them. <laughs> yeah, just suitcases with you and everything. Um, yes, I think it's live in the dream, get out to the countryside and do more writing. Anyway, we'll put the links to those two job um, opportunities because we're here to help everybody, obviously, in our show notes. Yeah, so that was our little Arvon aside. It was a good one. So the uh, listener's question, do we need to do the song again? We do. Listener's question number two is from Tim Apple. Good name. I mean, yeah. Do you think it's He's his real not name? Get a website for that, but yes, of I course, it's his real name. I know, I'm, and I've spoken to Tim over Twitter, and he seems like a wonderful chap. I just uh, Tim Apple, of course, Tim Cook, who who is the CEO of Apple. I wondered if there was if it was any sort of sort of carefully constructed uh, nom de plume. Did you ever see the uh, the poor chap on Twitter called John Lewis? It was on Twitter, yes. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would just, I just closed down that account immediately. But he's apparently, I don't know whether he's still going. Actually, just responding to people saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not that John Lewis." If you have a, a customer query or a complaint, you can send them here. Yes, I mean, for anyone not based in the UK, of which there are many of you, uh, John Lewis is a huge sort of superstore type place in. Uh, uh, kind of upper class kind of superstore, but a big sort of shopping shop shop, all the same. And um, and uh, uh, this guy just gets bombarded with messages for the superstore and not him. I guess it would be like someone in the US having the Twitter handle um, Walgreens or something like that. Um, be a strange name, but it's possible. Um, um, so, yeah. I was trying to think of a, a, an example because I mean, so many businesses have people's names as their name, but I. It's strange that I just can't think of any. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and do you know what? Do you know, that just completely reminded me. This is something completely random before we answer Tim's question. I thought the other day, do you think it would be a good idea to try to find out people, like very, very young people who we think are going to be massively talented and like the next Justin Bieber's and nab their Twitter handles quickly now so that we can get paid loads of money for them when they actually do get famous in the future and want to use them? Right. Logistics. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to find these this talent? Well, I think within the first couple of weeks of Justin Bieber, somebody probably went, oh, look at this kid. He's getting already a lot of uh, views. He's only like nine. He hasn't got a Twitter, Twitter, Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't got a Twitter account. I'm going to take Justin Bieber and then he'll have to pay me millions of dollars. Okay. I don't know if you've answered my question there. <laughs> I think it's a really, a really good um, plan. Anyway, don't worry, I'll keep, I'll do it. You don't need to get involved in my plan for that. Okay, you. It sounds like a, a startup. What's your startup going to be called? <laughs> Oi, that's my name. Dot com. And you could go uh, there. Celebrities can go there to try to um, negotiate for their the rights yeah. to their domains and their Twitter handles. Yeah, it sounds like you set up a com- you, you set up a company there that's uh, the opposite of that a name that's the opposite of what you're actually trying to do <laughs> you, you sound like you set up a company of lawyers who are trying to fight <laughs> fight the corner of the celebrities with this with their stolen twitter so handles. you think it should be called ha we've got your name that would be, that would have made more sense great well um back to reality tim apple um asked us is it better to release a collection of sort stories or individuals um and I assume it means individual short stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, um, and what, what do you think? Well, um, I mean, in my experience, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this. And please correct me on the WFYL hashtag if you know it to be otherwise. Um, I don't imagine that you could just publish individual... Uh, sorry, not 
I'm now I'm speaking Danish as well, individual short stories like that, you would need to have them published by different people and then be offered a collection. I don't think anyone would be able to just say, okay, I guess that's kind of what the question is, though. What what, what Danish did you just speak? <laughs> don't even know. I was saying or, I think. Don't ask me that, honestly. It's, as I said, it's, it's probably the busiest week of the year this week at work, and my brain is literally trying to dribble out of my ears right now. <laughs> I've just eaten a pack of Haribo as well before I recorded this, so it's, um, it's amazing I can string two words together. Okay, well, I, I, the way that it used to work in certainly, again, I kind of feel like I'm prefacing everything I say by r- reminding everyone that I, I'm, I'm from the UK. However, the way it sort of used to work here... Um, uh, for traditional publishing, and it's not clear from Tim's question whether he whether that's what he means. But what you would kind of do, your route to publication as a short story writer would be to release isn't the word, but you would submit individual short stories to literary journals and magazines. And the more that you did that, and the more success you had doing that, and, and enter competitions, things like that. Yeah. And if you, and you kind of get a portfolio of published stories, and then hopefully you will then be able to approach an agent or maybe even a publisher who directly publishes uh, short story writers because it, it is a very sort of uh, niche kind of um, uh, 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 profession if you're not going to write anything longer. Um, and then maybe they would look at your kind of publishing history and say, yeah, this person's been published here, that's a great magazine, They must have, this must be good, or, uh, or, or whatever. And, and then you might have your collection published. So I would say... Um, that it would be best to at first publish individual stories and then look for publication uh, a publishing deal for your collection if you're going down the traditional route that would be how it how it's normally done if you're self publishing you can it depends on the length of your short stories i suppose if you have a particularly long one i i presume that you can publish through amazon's kindle um uh, scheme uh sorry kindle series what's the sing, uh, singles that's the phrase kindle singles scheme um and there are there are uh, there are definitely publishers who would probably also publish um single short stories too um um but i would i don't know i i guess i'm saying this without having done it myself but it seems to me to make sense to if you have the individual short stories if you have some ready to maybe publish one or two on your website on your blog to give people a taste of what they might expect when you release a full collection mm. um or to uh, to at least kind of um, make one or two available to buy, and say, and then I think it's perfectly reasonable to then include those stories as part of a larger collection, you know, maybe at a later date in a year's time or something like that. Yeah. So I, I don't. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, I was going to say yeah, absolutely, and um, I. Uh... I mean, I think it'd be nice to give an example of somebody who has been successful at this in the show notes. I know a a writer our age from Ireland who, when I was writing poetry, she was writing short stories and she had them published in various places. And then she had uh, her debut chapbook published um, last year. And so that's exactly, she followed exactly that process. And the chapbook was called Your Mixtape Unravels My Heart. And I will put it in the show notes. If you're interested in seeing somebody and who's gone through that route and on her website, you can also read some of her short stories that were published in online journals and um, newspapers and things like that. Fantastic. So I, I, I don't know if that's answered the question or not, but... Did I say she was kind of... called Maura Robinson? I should, probably should say that. Uh, you didn't. You didn't. Sorry. Carry on then. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's do that. Let's carry on. I hope that's answered your question, Tim. If anyone else has any questions you'd like us to answer, don't forget, hashtag, we'll keep mentioning this, WFYL. So, um, we've got a number of items here that we've got in our shared document. Which one should we go for? Let's talk about uh, Ladybird dropping the gender labelling of books, because this is something that we talked about before as well. It was, and it's something that my mum is very interested in, being um, a, a children's writer, and she, she often sends us bits and bobs about um, articles that people she she knows have written, um, and another writer, children's book writer called Eileen Brown, um, had been doing a lot of research into um, uh, characters in children's books and just how few lead characters or main characters in children's books are actually girls. So she's been talking a lot about this with us over the last few months and noticed that Ladybird 
have dropped uh, gender labelling of books. And it's quite interesting that, I mean, this is in response to the Let Toys Be Toys campaign, but also I think there's a Let Books Be Books campaign, isn't there? Maybe I might be wrong about that. Oh, yeah, Let Books Be Books, there is, yeah. Um, it's very interesting when you read a bit more about it that Ladybird, they say that they they think that they only had like a handful of titles where it was specifically labelled or targeted or titled as for girls or for boys. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, like it's not overtly gender labelled, the majority of their what they're publishing, but that they will stop publishing those books like, you know, great adventure books for boys and how to tidy up in the kitchen for girls, stuff like that. Very exciting, yeah. I think. It's great. I mean, it's fantastic. It's um, um, we we have seen no end of books uh, which are labelled for boys. And guess what's in them? Adventures. Car- cars. Car- well, cars, dinosaurs, um, sort of aeroplanes, spaceships, usual kind of stuff that's girls just they wouldn't be interested in that kind of thing. Hmm. Um. I uh, had interesting little thing with my mother-in-law this week where I my my little two-year-old daughter was trying to put a hair clip in my hair um, and I said, oh no, I don't, I don't want a hair clip in now. Go and put it on daddy. And um, protecting her son, she just said, no, don't be silly, boys don't wear hair clips. <laughs> and so my little daughter Ivy was just like, oh, didn't really know what to do, so just kind of, she flung the hair clip, her hair clip on the floor but I just thought how interesting like, she could have just gone and stuck that in your son's hair what's wrong with that um, and I thought ah this is going to be very interesting negotiating um, my daughter's um, childhood with um, with uh, my mother-in-law so I'll, I'll let you all know how that goes and also I've opened a can of worms here with my mother-in-law I'll try not to, um, to talk too much about it <laughs> Just mention the fact that actually there are other publishers who no longer pub, uh, label books for boys or girls, including Usborne, Paragon, Chad Valley, and Dorling Kindersley. Well, bravo to all of those folks too. Yes, great. Um, I had a little video that I wanted to share with everybody. I thought people might like to have a little little video moment. I mean, we're not obviously going to be able to do that now in the show, but we'll put it in the show notes and I will tweet it too. Um I just thought it was a lovely example of um, of making poetry accessible to the, to, to the mass, the heaving masses. Um, a poet that I knew um, in Dublin, Stephen James Smith, he's like a performance poet, people call him, because he does a lot of performing um, of his own work and also um, works by famous, famous Irish poets, they tend to be, I'd say. Um, he's made this amazing video called Dublin in Words, and he recites uh, from memory Lewis McNeese's publin- po- poem called Dublin. Actually, I can't even speak today. Um, and it's mixed in with images or parts of Dublin that are cited in the poem. And it really, it's, it's just, it, it brings the poem to life. It really does. And it's had 30,000 views in the last few days. And it's been on the Irish Times. Um, and um, I thought that would be a really nice way to... to give people a snapshot of Dublin and of um, of poem lovely well, I'll check it out I haven't seen that myself but I will I'll take a look great now what would you like to share with us Ian I'm going to share some thoughts about star guides because we were going to talk about this last week um, and uh, and uh, the stars did not align um, so <laughs> I'm going to talk about it this week instead um when you're right so there are two when you're at work so you are a copywriter i am a copywriter slash editorial person now um do you have a star guide yeah how big is your star guide i mean you were asking me i can't even remember because i've not looked at it for ages well that's an interesting part of this topic too now is it just like a uh, well, let me let me go back a bit. So let me explain what a star guide is. So a star guide would be used um, by a writer or a, usually a team of, of writers or copywriters, um, but also potentially by uh, a design team who works for the same company or even 
um, a star guide would also be used by maybe other companies who also have to do work for that company. Um, so a star guide is basically, um, well, you can have design star guides which say this is how your logo should appear, and you know you can never have a scribble in the middle of it, or you can never move the wording or change its colour um, and typography and all that kind of thing. But a, a, a writing star guide is where you say this is how this word or this phrase should be written at all times. Or there may be some exceptions. So you said this is how this word should be written at all times, except perhaps in this very specific circumstance. And so that helps a uh, usually a company, but it can be um, it can be applied in a number of ways, as I will come on to. Um, and, and it allows everyone to work from the same kind of hymn sheet so when it comes to things like you know the correct usage of hyphens and end dashes or how do you spell you know do you capitalize um, certain words do you use sentence case or 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 not for titles um all of those kinds of the intricacies of of things things that are kind of everyday parts of you know the things we write language but there may be more than one way of doing things, or maybe some people aren't sure how to do things, um, then the Star Guide is a definitive document that people can go to to um, to check that they're doing things right and to proofread against, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, when I first started in my job, I put a basic one together for our website. And because we're a marketing organisation and quite a big marketing organisation, it was just absorbed into a much bigger style guide which had all our brand guidelines, how our visuals, how the website looked and everything. And, and um, uh, yeah, so that's why, I mean, it's terrible that I haven't looked at it and I should update it. But, you know, if you're one person who's doing all the content, which I am, you just don't have time for that kind of thing. And we don't have external people that we pass things over to or that write things for us. So I haven't had to cross that bridge. And I guess in my, my line of work, it's kind of like you're in the line of fire every day. You're just doing what, what needs... Oh, I've got windy pops, Ian. Oh, dear. What's caused that? It's all the Haribos. <laughs> I should just let everybody know that I do tease Ian about um, saying quite often that he has windy pops. And now I've got it myself. It's terrible. I'm to apologise, everybody. Um, yeah, so there. That's what I just wanted to say about my style guide, which... Um, not really sure how useful it was. I know it's important, but as with all our strategies, like, you know, making sure that my social media strategy is up to date, that stuff always gets pushed to the back of the queue. Well, if you're working on your own and you're the almost... Are you the only person who really needs to use this style guide? Um, well, yes, I mean, in English, but, you know, things like... Um, what we do with our titles and stuff like that. I mean, we have 14 languages and, you know, people all over the place are translating my work. So I, mean, I guess it is important that it's that, that they have access to a really updated document. But yeah, otherwise it's just me doing all the English stuff. I mean, that's an interesting challenge for a, a person putting together a star guide in itself, all the, you know, the, the idea of it being translated. Mm. And it, it also illustrates how no one star guide is the same. Yeah. So... Um, f- for example, I, I when I would work when I was at the design company I worked for, we had a company style guide that we used. It was kind of not only was it how we wrote things for our own sort of marketing materials, but it was kind of the default way of doing things. So if a client didn't have their own style guide, then we would usually just apply our own rules, and they were probably okay. But if I work when I did work with a client, and especially if it's a you know a big company. Um, then, you know, of course, they have their own brand guidelines and they have their own star guide. And so the first thing you ask them once they've sort of described what the job is, uh, is how do you have a star guide? Because you need to make sure that what you're writing is in line with how they actually do things. So you have to keep multiple star guides in your head in that case. Mm. Now, um, in my new role, my new job, I am uh, working for one company. So we don't do client work. You know, we have a product, product that we sell. Um but I'm part of a team who uh, ha- there's about 15 to 20 people writing and we're doing things very quickly at the moment and and sort of trying to make sure that it's consistent is a real challenge, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and and to illustrate how how these things can be uh, difficult to uh, to kind of track and understand and how no one is the same, I 
said that because um, I'm kind of in charge of this style guide, I sort of created it a few months ago when I was um, when I was um, as part of my freelance role, and uh, it's quite a big document now. And I said, well, this is how you need to. I, I basically changed how they did things from being. Um, um, I can't. Remember, I always get them confused. But basically, so it's. Uh, the first letter of a title is capitalised. I think there's that sentence case. It is, isn't it? Mm. Um, and um, and so this is how we do things. And when it came to single words, and we're doing labels, so there might be like the children have a resource that they look at, and it's like a picture of a tiger. And uh, someone would say to me, "Do does that should that be capitalised?" I say, "Yeah, that should be capitalised. It's it's a label. It's labelling the picture." And um, but then we came to year one children, so five year olds. And I, I'm not a teacher. I don't have a teaching background. And so someone said to me, "Well, at that age, they don't they haven't actually learned what a capital letter is yet. In in the sense that they don't know. There's no differentiation between which words should or should not be capitalised. You know, if they get the the letters in the right order, well, then we've done well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, that probably needs to change. So a style guide is a, a living document, and it's something that can change, and it's something that you should. Um, uh, should kind of be a, a managing all the time. Why is this remotely important to uh, anyone? Well, if you work in a similar sort of job to us, which is copyright and that kind of thing, it's very important. But I think this is something that writers of fiction and potentially even poetry should consider creating as well. Um, it's something I've done a little of, but not in the same way as I've done. And maybe it doesn't need to be done in the same way as I would do as writing you know, a, a company style guide. But the idea of uh, writing consistently and making sure you write things in the same way is quite... uh, It's not important, but it's an interesting thing. And it can save... When you're editing, it can potentially save you a lot of time sort of scrabbling around how to spell something or how to uh, use... Whether you're using an N-dash correctly. And I know this is fiction and we're supposed to be creative and we can do what we want. We can change the letters around if we want. We can do anything. Make new words up. But, you know, there are some rules to follow and perhaps having uh, your own fiction style guide and you might have one novel by novel or, or collection by collection and and it could be something that really helps you develop your own voice and, 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 and you know, I don't know, just sort of give you some structure to your, to your work. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, if you were going to do that, I imagine it would have to be a novel by novel case because presumably your style I mean you know you can see people's styles can be similar I think take Cormac McCarthy for example I mean he his books are very different but you can always tell it's Cormac McCarthy don't you think yeah yeah good example um and I think it's the same with Emily Dickinson as a poet you know I mean she used those blue and dashes everywhere if you if you were shown a poet a poem that was you didn't know who it was by but it was by Dickinson you could probably guess it was by Emily Dickinson um and that's interesting. I guess they're people that have done it without style guys, but it's just it comes naturally to them that they have a very strong uh, style. Well, I mean, I think almost all books are written without style guys. I think this is probably quite a, an unusual thing to try and do. Hmm. But I'm I'm also thinking things like um, names of people, and and okay, so if you're like character names, so you may. Um, um, you, you know, you may know them <laughs> after a while. You can remember them. But my, you know, Ace for Angelica, my my first novel, that's got lots of different characters in. They they're kind of incidental characters, but there are lots of names, and uh, I did lose track of them at times. And I had to kind of like read through quite a long bits to kind of say, how did I how did I how did I spell Carnaffin um, as a surname um, on page ten? Although I wouldn't have known it was page ten. And of course, the other thing is that you might also work with someone else. So you might have a, an editor or an agent or or even just someone who reads your stuff for you. And, and it can help them spot problems. It can help them potentially spot um, any any mistakes or inconsistencies in your work. So you can, you can sort of hand them your manuscript and say, and here's my style guide to go with it. Mm. This is an interesting idea. I think so. I thought it was... Uh, I think it's something that I, I should probably uh, think about doing more of i, I have done it in, in to a degree i mean of course well, i'm talking about fiction here but if you write if you write non-fiction it seems like a really really good idea yeah absolutely um and, you know how do you write <laughs> how do you write uh battle of hastings yeah you know, his- dates how do you write dates so i'll tell you how you write a date you don't put 1920 hyphen 1925 to mean you know 
1920 to 1925, that's a, that's an N-dash that goes in the middle of there. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's very important. All, I spend almost all my days at the moment replacing hyphens with N-dashes mm. because they're important and they have a specific use and not everyone knows how to use an N-dash as I have discovered over the years. Do you think it's just because they're more difficult to to type in? in words? Well, it's, fun- it's funny you should say that, Donna, because I said as much on Twitter and it sparked something of an N-dash debate. Really? Oh, how funny that you said that as well because I didn't see that. Yeah, I said I think that part of the problem is that the it's it's hard to type. <laughs> I mean, it, it isn't. If anyone, this is a, this is a, an official right for your life tip. It's taken us almost fifty odd minutes to to get there to something useful. But if if you're in Word and you're in on a PC and you want to type an N dash instead of a hyphen, then you hold down Control and you press the minus key. But you don't press any old minus key. You press the minus key on the number pad of your keyboard. Mm. If you're on a Mac then you can use um, option and the subtract key there, the minus key, or just, you know, any old minus key will do. Are you testing it? <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> I was. But I, I, I was going to... Do you know what? I'm sorry, I was a little bit distracted because I just thought, I think that this might change the way that we write English. The fact that it's not easy to type it in Word is going to mean that we the N dash comes to... It doesn't exist in the future, and people just use hyphens for it all. I, I bet you that's my prediction. I don't like the sound of that prediction. I, th- I honestly think I can see that's what's going to happen, and it's just quite simply because Microsoft have done it in a certain way. It's going to change the future of writing. Well, the, while I'm around, the end dash lives. <laughs> Good. Ian, we've run out of time, haven't we? I'm sad about it. Me too. It's always great fun, and... Um, and as we said, we're going to take a little Chris Crimble's break um, and we'll be back at our casting pods in the new year. Or, or just before the new year. Was it, what, do we know? It's probably just before the new year. Is that right? Yeah, but what day of the week is New Year? That is a Thursday, isn't it? Nobody knows. We've not even got to that period of the year and I still, I've already lost track of what day it is. <laughs> I, I believe lost it's track Thursday. Of, I've lost track of where I am in the future. No, it's Wednesday. Yes, I think that that we're potentially going to be sending out our podcast on the very first day of 2015, but that needs to be confirmed at a later date. (laughs) And uh, I should should, uh, just refer back to my idea of doing a a kind of a a best-of montage. The chances of that happening are lower than perhaps I let on earlier on. I mean, it's got quite a lot of work. As we were talking, I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't listening when you were doing your bits, but I was thinking I can't believe that I said that out loud. I think it'd be fantastic to do that as our as our New Year show, as a way to round off 2014. I don't think you should bust a gut doing that before Christmas. You're going to be busting a gut because of food intake over Christmas. Just enjoy that. I think that's what everyone feels, Ian. Let your hair down, put your feet up, eat lots of food and have a wonderful Christmas. And I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas too. Where can they, I mean, I would like to say that was a poetic way to finish, but where can people find you on Twitter? At The Flying Poet. And I'm at Ian Broom. Yes, and we will be tweeting over the holidays, so we'll still, we're still around, we're not disappearing, but, um, but yes, so have a, have a lovely week or so in the meantime, everybody. Indeed, farewell. Bye-bye. <laughs>